Many praises to you, God. And can we have a round of praise to this wonderful band, to these wonderful singers. I am totally blessed to be a part of this group up here. Oh, thank you, Father. Let's sing that chorus one more time. So I shout out your name from the rooftops I proclaim. is Stephen Ustrom, the lead pastor, and I'm away on vacation this week. I'm down in Miami. Well, actually, my son is in a kicking competition, so we're not on vacation, but we are definitely vacationing. So anyway, happy 2017, and I wish you a great and phenomenal 2017. This morning, you're going to hear a little bit about renewal, and the beach is one of the places that I just feel renewed. It's a place of communication for me. It's a place of prayer. And so um, I'm loving my time down here. Uh, I pray that you will be renewed and strengthened and growing in this new year of 2017. Well, something you're gonna hear a lot about from me this year is that 2017 marks the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. That moment where Martin Luther went to the doors of the Wittenberg University and he posted his 95 thesis. And of the many things that the Reformation brought on, one of the most powerful things was a renewal for the church. Now, anytime the church has experienced renewal, three things have happened. And I think it'd be awesome if this year was a renewal for the church. Three things. Number one, a rediscovery of the personhood of Jesus Christ, a focus on Him as Lord, Messiah, teacher. Secondly, a rediscovery of the and a recommitment to study the Bible, the, the Word of God. And then thirdly, and I think this is very important, a release of the laity to do the ministry of the work of the kingdom. Well, today I've asked a layperson to stand in this pulpit and preach for me. That layperson is Susan Butler. Now Mark and Susan Butler are some awesome folks in, in our church. And Susan recently came to me wanting to explore new avenues of ministry, maybe even being trained even more about how to speak or maybe getting an opportunity to preach. You know what happens, by the way, whenever you ask the pastor about something like that, right? So Susan is going to be bringing God's word today for us. She has prayerfully planned and listened for God's word, and I'm excited about Susan coming to share with us. And I'm also excited about seeing even more release of the laity to do ministry in this place in the coming year. So I wish you a very awesome 2017, and I want to invite you to welcome Susan Butler as she comes to share God's word with us today. Good morning. Well, I've got good news and I've got bad news. The good news, actually, let me start with the bad news. The bad news is Stephen's not here and you're stuck with me. 
The good news is, Stephen's not here, and that means you'll get to the restaurants before the Baptist. <laughs> okay, today is a brand new beginning, a brand new year, a brand new day, a brand new week for all of us, and to say that I am elated yet scared half to death to be here is an understatement. So I ask you pray for me as we go along. The definition of beginning is a place in time where something starts, like the dawn of a new day, maybe the birth of a child, an inception of an idea or a concept, or my first time standing in the pulpit before a congregation of people. So Stephen and I had a conversation back in November, and as he alluded to in the video, I asked him about training that I might participate in that would give me the opportunity to learn how to develop and to relay a message to a group of people. Well, he said, uh, without about two seconds into that conversation, well, hey, I'm going to be out of town January 1st. Why don't you cover for me? <laughs> he said, it'll be a great opportunity for you to have a lab of people so that they can give you feedback and you can determine how well your message was delivered and how well it was received. So with that being said, everybody put on your lab coats. This is the lab. Let's start with a word of prayer, please. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you so much for this day. Gosh, I thank you for the opportunity to be here, even though I'm scared to death. But Lord, I'm yours, and I know you're going to take care of everything from here on out. Lord, I ask you to empty me, fill me with your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray what comes out of me and is given to these great people is your rhema word. Um, Lord, I pray that you allow me to keep my voice steady and my emotions in check. I thank you already for the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit that was ushered into this place by Oscar and Lisa and all of those that were standing here on this platform before me. God, I feel like I'm on holy ground and that I should take my shoes off to stand here this day. I have so much to be thankful for, but most of all, it's for my Savior, Jesus. I'm thankful for second chances, and I'm thankful that he loves me unconditionally. Lord, I pray that my words are a blessing to these people, Lord, but they're not my words, they're your words. Thank you for our time together, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll give me a second, I'll be right back. Okay. All right. <clears throat> On to a little more upbeat things. 2016 was a year that had a lot of firsts. One of the things that we saw that was a first in 2016 was the Ice Bucket Challenge. Y'all remember the Ice Bucket Challenge for ALS where people would have buckets full of ice cold water poured on them and videoed. And some people did that with grace and some people did it with expletives and some people like me just said, you know what, that seems stupid, I'm not doing that. <laughs> so we had the Ice Bucket Challenge. Another thing that was new in 2016 was Peyton Manning and the Denver Broncos won the Super Bowl. And then later that same year, Peyton, who in my opinion is one of the best quarterbacks that's ever been, announced his retirement. Shortly after that, we had clown sightings. Whose idea was clown sightings? And did they think that through at all? I mean, how many of you adults are afraid of clowns? Okay, I see... 
And how would you feel if you looked in your rearview mirror and there was a car behind you being driven by a clown? Or worse yet, there was a clown standing in the middle of the street like this guy is as you're driving past. It would be horrible. Then we had, was that ever a first? The craziest political season we've ever had probably in the history of the United States. Oh my goodness. And I'm just going to not say anything else that right here except for I think there's some people who haven't packed to move yet. That's all I got to say about that. Then we had the Chicago Cubs who won the World Series for the first time since 1907. And then we had, in the same state, the Cleveland Cavaliers who haven't won the basketball championship in over 52 years. Now, I would speculate that the Cavaliers and the club, Cubs, won those championships because they were prepared and they were diligent about what they were doing. Well, we're going into 2017, so how can we implement some new beginnings in our life in 17? How many of you have made some New Year's resolutions? All right, how many of those New Year's resolutions included diet and or exercise? Okay, to say our nation is caught up in a fitness craze that's, that's putting it mildly. The fitness industry in the United States is a billion-dollar business. Billion with a B. Every day, we see infomercials about the latest and greatest. There's the thigh master. And then there's the abdominizer. Followed by the 15-day gut buster. You take this pill, and in 15 days, you have no tummy. Then you have the abdominal ab roller. And then now you've got this new board that you just get on and do like this. And it does all the work for you and makes you all skinny. But wait, there's more. If you order now, we will send you free of charge abs of steel and buns of steel. And we will send you to the first 50 callers, Elvis Presley's Guide to Nutrition, The Later Years. Whether it's sweating to the oldies or Billy Joe Bimbob, Bimbob, Billy Joe Jim Bob's country line dancing for exercise, one way or another, they've got you with these infomercials and things. Now, I was looking through a Sky Mall magazine in an air, airplane, and there was a picture of a man who had these things on his belly. See that right there on his abs and this little machine? Well, what it said was, you can put these things on your tummy and go about your normal day-to-day -day life, and while you're doing that, it's going to simulate exercise on your stomach, and you're going to become fit just for wearing this stuff. Okay, well, I found somebody who was using it. This is what he says. Are you ready to bust a gut? Then get the amazing Gut Be Gone! See this? This is my abdomen! It's this could be yours! Hello? I'm working out. I'll call you back. Have that heinous, flabby fat from your fat stomach. I've got one of those on order. Um, anybody who knows me knows that being physically fit is something that's really important to me. And 
One of my favorite things is getting up every day and going to the gym. Well, not counting today, I've not been to the gym since June of 2016. But I do plan to change that. I, I do uh, plan to get back into the gym and to try to do a few things differently and take better care of myself. And uh, I'm going to try really hard um, not to expect that anything is going to happen overnight, as those infomercials would tell you. But I know that if I eat a balanced diet, and that I maintain, that would help me maintain my energy. But I also know that I have to exercise regularly to build my muscular system and my cardiovascular system. But I also have to rest in order to be properly recharged to be able to do myself and my family any justice. First um, Timothy 4, 7 and 8 says, Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value of, for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. The Phillips translation of that scripture says, take the time and trouble to keep yourself spiritually fit. I like the way that's said. In other words, we are physical beings and it's important that we take care of ourselves, but the thing to me that's even as important as our, spiritual fit, our physical fitness is our spiritual fitness. You know, have you ever seen an infomercial about spiritual fitness? No, nope, doesn't seem to be many out there, does there? What, what does it mean to be spiritually fit? And how do you get there? I'd like to suggest that there's a pretty simple approach, and it'll take, in my opinion, three easy steps. You know, kind of like uh, diet and exercise and rest. It's kind of the same lines. In your outline, it'll say, spiritual fitness requires the proper spiritual, first blank is nutrition. Just as the body needs proper daily nourishment and food, we need spiritual fitness as well. It is written that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, from Matthew 4.4. 4. We are not just physical beings, we're spiritual beings. And God showed us a miracle that he did for the Israelites when they were in Egypt in Exodus 16, 16 through 20. Moses told these people that it is the bread of the Lord that I give you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Each one is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, he who gathered much did not have too much. And he who gathered little did not have too little. Each one gathered as much as he needed. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, and it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. There's three things I'd like for you to see about this passage uh, from Exodus. Is number one, God told them just to gather their food one time a day. He didn't say gather enough for a week, just gather one time a day. They were to consume what they gathered that day and not to keep it for the next day. And on the sixth day, they were to gather twice as much because that was the Sabbath and they were to rest. Well, God told them when he said just gather it one time a day, he was saying, look, I got this. All right, today's Sunday. Worry about Sunday. Don't worry about Saturday. Don't worry about Monday. Today's Sunday. Think about what you need to do for today, and I've got this. The people gathered enough food, and they were satisfied. We need to, as Christians, gather enough spiritual food so that we're satisfied as well. If I placed a meal in front of you, 
and you didn't eat it, you wouldn't be nourished. I can't eat for you so that you're nourished and you're fed and you're satisfied, just as I can't read God's word for you, for you to be filled and nourished and spiritually fit. Most of us have jobs that don't require for us to work on Sunday, and that's a great day for us to be in the house of the Lord, to be refilled and renewed. I think as parents and grandparents, it's our responsibility to show our children church attendance, both on Sunday and Wednesday when we can be there, and that they need to learn about being spiritually fit and learning when they are old enough to read and understand how to take in the scripture for themselves so that they can be spiritually satisfied as well. One of the greatest steps to get yourself spiritually fit is to feast on the Bible every day. Job said, I have treasures, treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. Now think about Job. Here was a man who had everything. He was rich. He had a big family. He had a wife. And what happens? All of a sudden, one day, all of his cattle are dead. All of his children are dead. He has no money. He's sitting in sackcloth and ashes. And his wife and all of his friends are coming to him saying, turn your back on God. Curse God and die. Just get over it. God's not going to do anything for you. But during this horrible, horrible time in Job's life, Job is saying, you know what? That's not what it is for me. I treasure, I savor, I love God's words in my mouth, in my spirit, in my heart. You know, I think about where Job was, and I think about myself, and I'm pretty sure that I don't have that same kind of spiritual fortitude that Job had when I'm in the middle of a mess. Do you? Hebrews 4.12 reminds us, For the word of God is living and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. I would say to you that reading God's word and combining it with faith is food for the soul. It's better than Oprah, it's better than Rosie, it's better than Jay Leno or Jerry Springer or any of those others, which I think some of them are probably packing right now. Um, it's better than a Harlequin romance. It's better than a John Grisham novel. You can surf the internet or you can surf the ocean, but you will never find anything that spiritually satisfies you like the Word of God. The Word of God is, um, when you're down, it will fill you. When you're lost, it will help you find your way. When you're fearful, it will give you courage. When you're weak, it will give you strength. When you're hurting, it will give you healing. I don't know of any other place that we can go and find all of those things. It, it is our book that we live by. Um, and it's very important. And it's very necessary for our spiritual growth. And through the Word of God, we have to learn to listen to and listen for God's voice. The second point of spiritual fitness requires spiritual exercise. That's the second blank on your outline. You know, your faith is like a muscle. It has to be utilized in order to grow. So how do you exercise your spiritual muscle? How do you exercise your faith muscle? James 2.8 tells us that 
Some will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you my faith by my works. So how do you exercise your faith at work? Well, where I work, most everyone that I work with is a Christian. And that makes going to work every day pretty easy for me. Because we talk about what happened at our church and what our service was like and what our pastor talked about and that kind of stuff. But I work with one person who I'm not sure if they're an atheist or an agnostic, but I know for sure that they try to say all the right words, the going to heaven words and blessed and all these kinds of things, but I know pretty sure that, that he's not a Christian. And so I try very hard to let him see my faith. I let him see how joyful I am, and I let him know that I am not ashamed of Jesus Christ as my Savior. I try to make sure that he knows that I have great joy because of the Lord. I try to make sure that he understands and knows that that's where my help comes from. How do you exercise your faith in public? You know, we go into a grocery store or to the Walmart or, you know, now that Christmas is over, we probably won't be frequenting the mall quite as much. But how many times can you just share a smile with somebody? Or if you see somebody who has on something pretty that you like, you know that you compliment them and that you do it sincerely. Sometimes a kind word is all that person needed just to know that. And this is going to sound crazy, but where... The grocery store that I go to mostly, there are a good number of people older than me there. And I am not young, but um, so I try to help those people if I can. If I see them taking their groceries out to their car, um, I'll stop and say, may I help you with your groceries? But I try to back up enough not to intimidate them or to think I'm there to harm them, but to just, you know, offer my assistance to them. Or could I take your card and put it away? You'd be surprised sometimes how much that means to somebody, especially if they just got off one of those little scooters and they're having a hard time getting in the car anyway. Or maybe they had double knee surgery and they just need a little help. <laughs> During the Christmas um, rush of shopping, I was in the Walmart at Hudson Bridge Road and there was a little man walking through the parking lot with his key fob doing this. Well, the whole time he was doing that, nothing was happening because he didn't realize the battery in his key fob was dead. So I say, did you lose your car? He said, I sure did. And I said, well, what does it look like? This was the description he gave me. It's green. <laughs> I'm thinking, is it a minivan? Is it a truck? Is it a car? Is it four doors? Is it two doors? You know, it's green. So I turned around, and when I turned around, I remembered that there were two doors going into the Walmart. And I said, do you remember which door you went in? And he said, oh, I went in that door over there. So then we moved from this side of the parking lot to there to find the man's car. Sure enough, in a minute or two, we found it. He laid his hand on my shoulders, and he said, God bless you. What he didn't realize is that my act of helping him find his car had blessed me way more than it had blessed him. How do you exercise your faith in prayer? I'm going to um, be real transparent here now. Um, my son-in-law's mother was in the hospital, and she was not doing well at all. And it's one time, at one point, the doctor said, there's a chance that she won't ever go home from the hospital. So we were praying for her really, really, really diligently. And I was in the bed, and I was laying there with my eyes closed, and I was praying, Lord, 
I pray that everybody who's at that hospital around her will lay their hands on her, God, and your power would go into her body, your healing power, and she would be healed. And then I said, but if necessary, Lord, I'll go lay my hands on her myself. No sooner had those words come out of my mouth than I heard this voice say, Really, Susan? Really? You will go lay your hands on her yourself? You're not the healer, Susan. I am. I am the healer. And don't you think for a minute my hand can't stretch far enough to touch her and heal her. My eyes laid, I was like this for about 30 minutes. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. You know, and the whole idea that Jesus would talk to me in the same lingo that we use now. Really, Susan? Really? I'm like, thank you, God. Um, it's not always fun to be reprimanded, but, oh, Lord. Um, so, just in case you ever want to say, and if necessary, I'll lay hands on you. You might ought to rethink that. Um, when Mark was in the hospital six years ago this past September, um, he was in a situation where uh, he was in ICU and he had, was on a ventilator and um, he had a port in his neck and he had 13 IVs that went in through this port. Well, he was not in an induced coma, but he was only semi-conscious of where he, and he didn't speak and he hardly opened his eyes and they would tell us when you go in here, don't touch him and don't say anything. Well, I wanted to pray for him the whole time I was in there. You know, I wanted to, I couldn't put my, if necessary, hands on him, but I could pray for him while I was in there. And one of the ways that it helped me to pray for him was I wrote prayers and scriptures down on three by five cards, and there were these huge windows above his bed. And we filled that whole, those whole two windows with scriptures and prayers and things for Mark. So when we were in there, all of us were in agreement. We could walk around that bed and look up and find a scripture or find a prayer. And so we were praying for him constantly and continually, continuously. But not only that, the word of God was all over that room. The word of God was all over that room. And I didn't realize it until after he was leaving or getting ready to leave the hospital, how much that had ministered to the staff at that hospital. People would say to me, I've been telling my family about him. He's our miracle. We've never seen this kind of thing happen here where people have been turned around and healed when they've been told more than once that they were never going to survive. We saw God's hands move, not because of my prayers and only my prayers, but hundreds of people, thousands of people were praying for Mark all over the place. So I'm telling you, one of our strongest faith muscles is prayer. Prayer is a muscle that you can utilize without going to the gym, but it is weightlifting in a sense because we can take our heavy burdens and lift them right up and put them into the hands of God. And when we do that, we relieve ourselves of the necessity to carry that around continuously. We just have to let it go and give it to God. Who do you have to be strong for? Who do you need to use your faith for? Who is the hardest person for you to love? Spiritual fitness requires proper nutrition, and that's being in God's Word. 
You know, some days we might need a big dose of God's words. Some days we may just need a little bit less. But the fact of the matter is we need it every day. Spiritual fitness requires that we utilize our faith muscle at home and at work and in prayer. We got to be busy loving and serving others because, as we know in James, faith without works is dead. Think about this. If the words that you said were written on your skin, would you still be beautiful? Would you still be handsome? The third point in our outline is spiritual fitness requires spiritual renewal. Let's face it, we're Americans. We want to put it in the microwave, we want to zap it, we want it to happen just like that. We don't ever want to wait. We don't have time to wait because we're busy. Busy, busy, busy. How many times a day do you say the word busy? I can't, I'm busy. Oh, I can't do that that night, I'm busy. You know, where did we get this whole idea and concept that everything had to be all about working hard? I mean, we start off with good motives, and then the next thing you know, it's morphed into something that's beyond our control. You know, God didn't create us to just be busy, 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 busy all the time unless we were busy about his business, but sometimes we're so busy about the other stuff that we lose sight of that. And when we go on vacation, it's not really a vacation. We take our laptops and our tablets and our cell phones and we sit at the pool and we catch up and you can't miss this email and I got to send this text and I got to do this and I got to do that. We never take time to rest. I mean, we're packed. We're booked, we're needed, we're scheduled, we're pulled in all directions. And it's not just women that have that kind of life, it's men too. Because sometimes when they get home from work, they can't get home from work. I mean, they're at home, but they, they still have work that they've got to take care of, and there's no, no shutting down time. This is what the world's equation says. More time spent working plus some more work equals productivity, more money, and therefore more happiness, right? That's what we all bought into. That's what we think. Because we've got to scrape our way to the top. We've got to work seven days a week, 700 hours, however many, you know, we never want to shut down. What I want to say to you is that if the creator of the universe from Genesis 2-2 took time to rest, after he created everything, who are we to think we don't need to rest to? We certainly do. This is God's equation. My life plus God's way equals living on purpose. I think we ought to think about that. You know, it doesn't say busy in there one time. Exodus 28 tells us to remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Psalm 116.7 says, Let my soul be at rest again, for the Lord has been good to me. God's way is a way of purpose. It's a way of living intentionally in order to love others and to have time to love others. God's way is a way of rest coupled with meaningful work. God's way is a way of balance. It's a way of, of finding success but not having success being the only thing that you think about or that you strive for. 
God's way means less of us and more of him. If we follow God's success equation, then I think we could figure out that we can be replenished and renewed several different ways. We can have spiritual renewal through God, through God's word, through rest, through relationships, being here on Wednesday night for purposely plugged in, and being here on Sunday mornings to be refilled. One of the most relaxing things in the world for me is a good bath. But I think sometimes we need to be washed in the water of the word. That, that's important. I think another way we can start something new in 2017 is to find our two. Pastor Stephen talks about finding our two. A place to grow and a place to serve. I think you should consider your gifts and your talents and your abilities and try to figure out where God would have you serve and work in Harvest Point coming in 2017. In February, you're going to get more information about serve groups, and very soon we're going to have a list for you of all the grow groups and small groups that are meeting that are available. I want to leave you with this idea that um, we need more time to be renewed. I pray 2017 will be a year that you are transformed by the renewing of your mind, 
and that you find time to exercise your muscles of faith and prayer and service and love to others. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you.